was able to trim the message down to 60 minutes this morning, so uh, do some high fives on that. I get to wear some shorts this morning. It's my favorite, favorite service of the year. Some of you guys are probably like, isn't that how you look every Sunday, Ronnie? It is, except for the shorts. Hey, if you have your Bibles, you can grab them. If you've got your device, you can uh, go to a, the Bible app of your choice, and we're going to the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, chapter 5, if you want to turn there. So imagine if you had the opportunity to sit down with Bill Gates, you know, the Microsoft guru, or Jeff Bezos, the Amazon guy. Um, again, we're talking about two of the wealthiest, most influential business leaders, thinkers, influencers, villains, wherever you're at with that, of our time. What do you think that they would say to you if you had a chance to do a one-on-one -on -one with each of them? What kind of advice or wisdom would you expect to hear from them if you were grabbing a coffee of hopefully, a cup of hopefully expensive coffee with these dudes because they can afford it, right? I'm saying, what do you think they would say to you after they explained to you why your computer is still not connecting to Wi-Fi? And why that package you ordered two weeks ago on Prime still hasn't arrived. Like, after you got out those grievances on them, what would they say to you? I'm guessing if you sat down with Gates or with Bezos, they would probably tell you how they built their empires, right? They'd say, hey, here's how I acquired my fortune. They'd probably give you some inspirational lines that would look real sweet on a coffee mug, right? Or on one of those posters your boss hangs on the wall that says, Teamwork makes the dream work, right? Probably some business advice, probably some career advice. Here's what they probably wouldn't be able to provide you with, which is any perspective on discovering the meaning of your life, right? It probably wouldn't be the kind of advice you would get from King Solomon, who we're going to look at today, and who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, under the inspiration of God, of course. So here was King Solomon. King Solomon was Israel's third ever king. And one night, God visits him in a dream and asks him the question we all dream of being asked, which is, ask me for whatever you want and I'll grant your request. And just so you know, he didn't ask for more wishes, right? Which I always think is the rule, like that, doesn't, that rule doesn't apply when you get the ask for whatever you want thing. But instead of asking for money, uh, or good health, or to, you know, I don't know, look like Brad Pitt. Um, he asked for something far more helpful, although in the moment, probably a little less fun. Um, he asked for wisdom. And God was so happy with Solomon's request that he said, check it out, not only will I give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you all the other stuff that was probably in your mind, but that you didn't ask for. And here's what we know as we look at the life of Solomon is that it all came true. Solomon became the wisest man in recorded history and his kingdom was one of the most extravagant, wealthy, influential kingdoms that the world has ever known. But it doesn't just end with that. That's not the, that's not the sweet ending of the story with Solomon. It's actually a sad story because it didn't end well for King Solomon because he had as it records in scripture, a bit of a thing for the ladies, as we would say in our vernacular, which led him to worshiping the false gods that his overweight for it, 700 wives, 
brought into the marriage. We don't have time to unpack that. I don't even know if we need to unpack that, right? So as Solomon was nearing the end of his years, he was not ending them well. And so what happens is he wrote a book of super dark thoughts and poetry and philosophy called Ecclesiastes, which would be the envy of like every theater kid in the world, right? Here's the question that Solomon answers that we're going to really briefly look at this morning. And it's this. What if the meaning of life wasn't found by measuring your accomplishments, but by how deeply you enjoy all that God has already created and already accomplished for you? The wisest man in history speaks into this dilemma for us. Ecclesiastes 5 Verse 8, this is what it, I'm sorry, verse 18, this is what it says. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Maybe for some of you that it's the first time ever reading that scripture, it sound, doesn't really sound like something that would be in the Bible. The first perspective though that we get from Solomon, the wealthiest, wisest person that our world has ever known, has ever recorded, the first perspective we get from him is that it's a good thing and not just a good thing, but the right thing for you and for me to receive God's gifts. You were created to enjoy and find contentment in God's gifts. Isn't that weird? It kind of just flips our vision of God and who, how we think of him. But you were created to enjoy and find contentment in God's gifts, which by the way, include work which also then includes the fruit that comes from your work, however great or small. See, here's the thing, like we tend to view work as a punishment, but that's not really how scripture records work and how God gave us work. It's actually a gift from God to create and to cultivate things that give glory to God, which by the way, regardless of what kind of work you're involved with, that is the underlying purpose of the work that God has given you, to create and cultivate things that give him glory. By the way, work is not a result from the fall of mankind. It's not, it's not when Adam and Eve fell, then God gave them work to do. In fact, it existed before Adam and Eve sinned as a way to cultivate with our hands, listen, the beauty that God created with his. So Solomon is saying this, all right? He's saying, receive the work that God has given you as a gift. He's saying, enjoy the fruit that comes from your labor. We're going to we're doing it right now, but we're really going to be doing it in a minute here, right? Here's my question for you. Do you feel guilty for enjoying the fruit of your labor? Is that something you struggle with doing? Does pleasure of any kind fill you with some like measure of guilt? Like as if like, yeah, I know I, I should enjoy these things, but I, but I shouldn't enjoy it that much. There's something off about my like enjoyment level being like at 100 let me blow your mind by telling you that guilty pleasures are an invention of the devil. All right? That's because his aim 
is to try and convince you that God is a curmudgeon, that God is a pleasure thief, that God, the one who created all that is good, is somehow only happy if you're working yourself to the bone and are as miserable as possible doing it. That's the kind of God that the devil, listen to this, is promoting to you. In fact, it's the God that he presented to Adam and Eve in the garden, which was that he was this cosmic killjoy. Now, obviously, listen, let me qual this a little bit and say we need to guard against worldly pleasures because those things seek to consume us, but those things are just a gradation of joyful things that we actually have that we have corrupted because our hearts tend to make gods out of things that are just meant to be good and really good. The devil's job description is to elevate God-given pleasures to God-like pedestals in our life. Not so, that we, not, not so that we enjoy things more, but so that we enjoy things in a way that doesn't give glory to God and actually gives us less pleasure than what God intended to with the gifts he's given us. But Solomon is telling us something different here. He's telling us that your work and the food that you eat and the drink that you drink, I don't know, that's all I got. And the wealth that you have, the abundance that you have are gifts that God has given you to enjoy, not as an option. And you know, God does give different percentages of abundance to people. Solomon just said that. And by the way, we should consider ourselves in the category of people who have that abundance, right? But Solomon is not advocating mindless or greedy indulgence. He's saying, enjoy the fruit of our labor redemptively. In other words, since God's gifts didn't originate with you, they didn't originate with me, we gotta be careful not to idolize them, but instead use the good they provide us to benefit the good of others who have less. So that, why? So that we become less consumed as people who have been given more. So how do we do that? How do we guard against that tendency? Solomon says, we don't just receive God's gifts as an end in and of themselves, but that it's good and fitting for us to respond to God by eating our food. Can you imagine God saying, eat your food? Enjoying your work, accepting your lot or the place or the position that God has put you and then rejoicing in your toil, rejoicing in those things that in fact came directly from the hand of God. Is this what you'd imagine God saying to you if you sat down to lunch with him? What if you sat down to lunch with God? Could you imagine him saying, look, man, you probably have a lot of questions, but for right now, I'd love you just to kind of like eat the food you have, drink the drink you have, enjoy the abundance you have and rejoice because man, that, that's why I created you. Would we imagine God saying that to us if we were able to sit down with him? And if we can't imagine God saying that to us, why? Why can't we imagine that? Because that is the God that we have in scripture. That is the character and the heart that has been given to us by God. This is the heart and character of a God that Solomon, after having, you know, after having like the, the nine houses, after having the third boat, right? After having like the fourth ATV, after having all the stuff that like we just think, man, if I could just get there. I mean, this is a guy that had that stuff in abundance and had no limitations on it. 
This is a guy that came to this very simple truth. So we need to receive the gifts that God has given us and enjoy them with a type of gospel-infused enjoyment that doesn't make gods out of them, but emphasizes and reflects and makes bigger and more glorious the God who gave them to us. And then we do that, we respond to that by doing just that, by enjoying those things. So here's how we need to close thinking about these words of Solomon. Again, a man who measured his life by all his accomplishments rather than how deeply he enjoyed all that God had created and accomplished for him. And it took him getting to the end of his life to be able to write words this simple and profound. Philip Ryken says this. He said, the world that God created is full of many rich gifts, but the power to enjoy them does not lie in the gifts themselves, right? We talk about that a lot at Substance, right? If we're looking for gifts and abundance and those types of pursuits to be what gives us that longing for satisfaction that's built into all of us, we're gonna hit a ceiling. We're just gonna, we're just gonna keep coming up against that thing like every single time. All good things are from God, Solomon says. But how do we enjoy them? Well, here's how we enjoy them. We must have Jesus to enjoy them. So this is something that Solomon's writing about as as sort of a shadow that hasn't taken place yet because he wrote this book thousands of years before Christ came. But to enjoy the good things from God, what Solomon's really saying is that we have to have Jesus to enjoy them. The answer this morning to how to enjoy the good gifts that we have is Jesus. Jesus is the power to enjoy all of God's good gifts because it's wrong to not enjoy what God has given us to enjoy. But it is wrong to enjoy those things more than the God who gives them. The only way to enjoy them in the way that they can be enjoyed to their fullest is to have Jesus so that we're able to enjoy God's gift to their fullest potential. Why? Why do we need Jesus? Why don't we possess that quality in and of ourselves? Well, we need Jesus so that God's gifts don't become reduced to idols because we have that tendency. Secondly, we need Jesus so that those gifts God has given us, we need them to remain blessings instead of burdens because those gifts, those things, they, they turn on us. They're not good gods to us. They don't care for our soul. And thirdly, we need Jesus so that the giver of those gifts stays resolutely better than the gifts. Well, then what's the result of that? When we receive and respond to God's gifts rightly, instead of being preoccupied with all the things that threaten our enjoyment, which are those things that God has given us, we become instead occupied with Jesus as the one who continually puts the joy back in our enjoyment. Listen, any pleasure without Jesus in the center turns into enslavement. And instead of being occupied with joy, like Solomon describes here, we become preoccupied with those things that in and of themselves have no power to sustain that happiness that we want. Have you ever not been able to enjoy something because something else was preoccupying your mind? Like, I want to enjoy this thing, but my mind is so filled with these other things. What's happening when that is taking place? Well, it means that you've let something else occupy the space 
that it's not meant to occupy. And what we know from Scripture is that our hearts were created to be occupied with Jesus so that we can enjoy Him and the good gifts God gives that reflect something that sustains us, like His love, mercy, grace, compassion, happiness, and nearness. So here's an example. I don't light a candle in my house, and we like those candles, right? We like those candles that smell like Christmas all year. Um, We love lighting those candles. We have one perpetually burning in our kitchen, right? But I don't light a candle expecting it to light my house the rest of my life. It has no ability to do that. I need a greater and a longer lasting light that doesn't create more shadows than it does light. That's what happens when we make God's good gifts something to enjoy without Jesus as an end to themselves. So here's how I'm going to end. Is it strange for you to think of God as a person who created you to be occupied with joy? Is it strange to, is it strange to think of God as being that invested in your happiness that he created you and he sent his son to die so that your joy might be something that is completed in you. Is that just a mind-blowing thought for how you think about why God created you? Now, when it says here in verse 20, if you look, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart, that doesn't mean we forget the hard days of our life, right? It means that we have perspective in our hard days. It doesn't mean we just live in blissful ignorance and ignore all the bad junk. It means that all of those janky things that threaten to preoccupy us have been replaced by a joyful occupation that has the object of joy itself at the center, who is Jesus. This is what Paul was saying in Philippians 3 when he said, brothers, man, I don't consider that I have made it my own, this this life, this faith. But one thing I do, he said, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he said, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, in other words, if you ain't there, he said, God will reveal that also to you. And what Paul is trying to tell us is that we were created for this upward call in Christ Jesus so that our joy wouldn't be continually replaced by counterfeits. What do we learn in the Westminster Catechism? Some of you guys know this. It asks us a question. It says, what is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Or I'll give you the John Piper edit. Man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. I mean, you gotta be something else to like alter the Westminster Catechism like that and just rewrite that thing. But I I think his edit's better. By enjoying God forever. That's our chief end. That is the meaning of your life if you receive Christ as your Savior. All that work and all that toil and all that food that you work for, you can enjoy it with a heart of rejoicing because it's not an end into itself. This means that if you have Jesus, your heart can be occupied now with the greater gift so that the lesser gifts that God gives us can be enjoyed with a heart that is not set on a 
accomplishing more, to accumulate more, but as a way to live a life in thankfulness for who God is, what he provides, and the person that he is, which is one of love and mercy and grace, so that your meaning of life is not just uh, designed by yourself to be something that's going to continue to collapse on itself as you continue to pursue things that hit a ceiling every time, but it has Jesus at the center of it so you can grow in a gratefulness and in a joy and in an appreciation and in a full-heartedness towards the giver of the gifts who never stops giving to us out of his love for us. Amen. You guys with me on that? I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for reminding us that we are meant to enjoy you before all other things. The, the reason why we were created is to worship you and to enjoy you and to see you in the fullness that you provide us with in Scripture. We see that in the person of Jesus Christ who came and he died and he rose again. It was because of your love for us that you sent your son who loved us who willingly sacrificed his life for our joy. Lord, I pray today that we can remember that as we enjoy these good gifts with everything that is in us, knowing that, man, all the effort we put into enjoying good gifts in light of our good giver is something that pleases you. But God, we're not very good at doing this. So Lord, we need your spirit to continue to remind us of these truths to open up our heart to the truth and the good news of Jesus so that we have lives that are reflective of the joy that you have given to us to continue to grow and expand in us because you are good and you are worthy and you are our savior and we need you. So Lord, let us now feast and enjoy one another, enjoy this beautiful landscape Park, scenery, grass, food, games, noise, music, all the craziness. Let us enjoy it now for our good and for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.